these transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. A long time ago, there was a young man whose father owned a comic book publishing company. When his father died, he inherited the business and incorporated many ideas of his own into the company. These ideas scared a lot of people. New rules were put in place to prevent him from publishing most of his work. But there was one comic they couldn't stop, a comic of biting satire whose humor-filled pages became very important to the youth of the 60s and 70s. Today I have the story of Mad Magazine on the 192nd episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Well, good Sunday morning to you. My name is Jeff, and for the next half an hour or so, I'll be your storyteller. Sorry about being away for so long. It's been two and a half months since my last episode. But with the Psycon Network coming to an end, it, it took a while to get things together. But now, without the Psycon Network, I'm free to do as I please. I'm no longer under the tyrannical rule of the evil Brecky. I can say and do what I please when I please. I'm just kidding, of course. Brecky and Sycon were great. I was always free to do what I wished there, and I'm free to do what I wish here. This is what I hope will become the Zeus Brothers Podcasting Entertainment Network. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully there'll be more podcasts on the network in the near future. And because I'm doing my own thing, I... I needed to set up a Patreon page of my own. It's, um, well, more important to me now more than ever. Because podcasting is expensive. So if you've got a dollar or two a month you can spare, please think about giving to my Patreon. You can go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and just do a search for Coffee with Jeff, or go to coffeewithjeff.com and look for the Patreon link. I'll also have one on the Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Now, if you're new to Coffee with Jeff, my name is Jeff, and I spend about two weeks or so researching a topic that I would like to know more about, and I write it as a story and share it with the listeners. One last thing before I get started, I do have an email address. It's coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. And, well, I love to get emails. So if you've got a suggestion for a show topic, you want to say hi, or just want somebody to talk to, send me an email. I would appreciate it. So, Mad Magazine. When I was a young man, way back in the 60s and 70s, Mad Magazine was massive, mainly with grade school kids. It's hard to imagine today just what Mad meant to my generation. A lot of it had to do with the times we were living in. It was a time when almost all entertainment was very sweet and harmless. Oh, we had Saturday morning cartoons, but they were things like Scooby-Doo and the Archies. Anything on television, whether it was for adults or kids, wasn't much better. It was all sweet and harmless. And the films for kids were things like The Computer Who Wore Tennis Shoes or Herbie the Love Bug. The satire of Mad Magazine was something altogether different, and it made fun of many of those things we were watching at the time. It was a comic magazine that satirized all aspects of life in popular culture, politics, entertainment, and public figures. 
It poked fun at any current popular television show or film with hilarious parodies. One could read funny, free-formed articles, giggle at the silliness of spy versus spy, or laugh out loud to snappy answers to stupid questions. One that was always my favorite. And on the back of each magazine was a fold-in. It consisted of a picture with a phrase or question at the bottom. A typical example of a fold-in was a picture of a bunch of male U.S. Navy officers pushing little ships around a table. The table looked like a map of a waterway, you know, like you see during wartime. Underneath it, it read, Fleet commanders of the U.S. Navy face a remarkable new challenge since there is little offense left in the Russian Navy. Our tactical planners must now focus on other dangers. And once you fold it in, the table now looks like a woman with officers groping her body, and the words underneath now read, Female Officers. Okay, it was funny at the time, trust me. And of course, there's the face that appears on almost every cover of every issue. That's Mad Magazine's mascot, the red-haired, gap-toothed, freckled Alfred E. Newman. Now, in today's story, I'm going to focus on the early days of Mad up to the point where the magazine is fully created. So let's get to it, the story of how this influential magazine came to be. There are certain Americans, dead or alive, who are regarded as national treasures. John Wayne, Katherine Hepburn, Louis Armstrong, Walter Cronkite, Joe Louis, Babe Ruth, and of course, Alfred E. Newman. This fictional face that launched 35 years of Mad Magazine. You might have thought that with all the electronic diversions available to kids today, something like Mad would be, if not already dead, then certainly dying. But nope, MAD is alive and kicking. Kicking as successfully at everything sacred. Still the brainchild, if that's the right word, of this man, Bill Gaines. We pride ourselves in the fact that we have no philosophy. We have no philosophy, we have no politics, we don't take sides. We have no morals, uh, we have no scruples. <laughs> we have no taste, we have no intelligence. Yes, we have no bananas. And that's about it. <laughs> Plus, I mean, working for Mad means just never having to grow up. To tell the story of Mad Magazine, I need to go back, way back to the introduction of comics. The first graphic novel was probably an 1837 book called The Adventures of Omadaw Old Buck. In the late 19th century, comics from newspapers began to be published in book form. The first of these was The Yellow Kid from 1897. These comic books continued for years with limited to poor success until the introduction of Action Comics in 1938. It was Action Comics that first introduced Superman. Suddenly everything changed. Superheroes became huge. In 1950, a new form of comic book started appearing, the horror comic, with titles like Tales from the Crypt, Chamber of Chills, and The Vault of Horror. These illustrated stories pushed the blood and gore to the limit, places where they had never gone before. And one man was responsible for this new form of storytelling, and his name was William Gaines. Bill Gaines was the son of Max Gaines. Max was a pioneering figure in the creation of the modern comic book. Max, along with Jack Leibowitz, began publishing comics with original material under the name All-American Publications. They created such titles as the original Adam, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and Wonder Woman. After selling his shares of All-American Comics, 
Max started a new comic book line called Educational Comics, or EC Comics. EC published titles such as Picture Stories from the Bible, Picture Stories from American History, Land of the Lost, Animal Fables, and Ed Whelan's Fat and Salt. But on August 20th, 1947, when Bill was just 25 years old, his father Max, his friend Sam Irwin, and Sam's son were motorboating at Lake Placid, New York, when they were struck by another boat. Tragically, Max and Sam were both killed. Bill inherited his father's comic book business. Bill quickly changed things at EC Comics. The E changed from educational to entertainment. And no longer were they telling Bible or historical tales. Gaines began publishing titles that would be more appealing to the younger generation. He introduced horror, science fiction, and romance with titles such as Modern Love, Gunslingers, Weird Science, and Tales from the Crypt. And it worked. Kids loved the new direction, especially the horror tales. But in the 1950s, attitudes began to change. Many believed that these stories were responsible for the growing juvenile delinquency. You know, the same way rock and roll, video games, the internet, and the Simpsons would be attacked years later? One man was picking up the pitchfork and torch in a big way, and that was psychologist Frederick Wertham. Wertham published a book called Seduction of the Innocent, which commented on the use of sex, violence, drugs, and other adult content in comic books, and used undocumented anecdotes to prove that reading this material caused bad behavior in children. Soon, Bill Gaines was testifying before Congress. I was the first publisher in these United States to publish horror comics. I'm responsible. I started them. Some may not like them. That's a matter of personal taste. What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of our own children? Do we forget that they are citizens too and entitled to the essential freedom to read? Or do we think our children so evil, so vicious, so simple-minded that it takes but a comic magazine story of murder to set them to murder, of robbery to set them to robbery? Bill started strong as he opened up with a prepared statement, one that he had stayed up all night writing. But as the day went on, he began to fade in and out. As the hours ticked by, his answers to the congressional questions started to do more harm than good. In an interview with Bob Costas on the show later in 1991, Gaines said that he had been up all night writing his opening remarks using Dexatrim to stay alert. Dexatrim is a drug to help lose weight, but it also has the side effect of keeping one awake. As soon as the Dexatrim began to wear off, he started getting sleepy. While I was giving my testimony, the pills wore off, he told Costas. And it was quite true if you read the last hour of the testimony. They were beating the hell out of me. I was so sluggish because I was sleeping. After that, the comic book industry panicked. And like the movie industry years earlier with the Hays Code, they figured the best way to keep the government off their backs was to police themselves. So in 1954, the Comic Magazine Association of America introduced the Comic Book Code Authority. To sell comics, you needed to have their little stamp in the upper right-hand corner of your issue. A few of their many guidelines were, No comic magazine shall use the word horror or terror in its title. All scenes of horror, excessive blood, gore, and gruesome crimes, depravity, lust, sadism, masochism shall not be permitted. 
all lurid, unsavory, gruesome illustrations shall be eliminated. Scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead, torture, vampires, vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. Profanity, obscenity, smut, vulgarity, or words or symbols which have acquired undesirable meanings are forbidden. Nudity in any form is prohibited, as is indecent or undue exposure. And that was only a small section of the new rules. There were more. In other words, all that DC Comics specialized in was over. Yet there was one of their titles they could still produce. A humor comic almost entirely written by a cartoonist named Harvey Kurtzman. Kurtzman was born on October 3, 1924 in Brooklyn, New York. He had been interested in art at a young age, and as he grew up, he began thinking about art and cartoon illustrations as a career. In 1942, he met Alfred Androla, an American cartoonist best known for the comic strip Carrie Drake. After showing Androla his work, Androla bluntly told the 18-year-old to give up cartooning. Kurtzman called that one of the worst days of his life, but he continued on. He worked as a freelance cartoonist for a few comics before being drafted into the Army during World War II. In the Army, he did such jobs as illustrating instruction manuals, posters, and flyers. And he contributed cartoons to the camp newspaper and newsletters. As time went on, he began to hone his style, which became more refined and distinct. After the Army, he did many jobs in the comic book industry and continually shopped around his work. One day, he brought in a sample to the EC Comics offices. Bill Gaines gave Kurtzman some low-paying work on a comic called Lucky Fights It Through. It was a two-fisted cowboy story with an educational message about syphilis. A sample panel of the comics has a young man drawn from the belly up looking down between his legs, and he's saying to himself, Huh, say that's sore down there. I don't like the looks of it. Kurtzman enjoyed working for Gaines, and Gaines gave him a lot of artistic freedom. When the horror and science fiction era of EC began, Kurtzman began getting regular work in the comics like The Gunfighter in 1950. One day, Kurtzman approached Gaines about the possibility of doing a comic of real war stories. He created Two-Fisted Tales. The problem with this comic was that Kurtzman wanted to be as accurate as possible, so he took a long time researching each story. When the Korean War broke out, his stories began taking an anti-war attitude. He humanized war, showing the consequences of what happens when people shoot at each other. He tried to show what war was rather than what kids saw at the movies. Two-Fisted Tales was a huge success, and soon Kurtzman started a second comic called Frontline Combat. But Kurtzman had a problem. It seemed the money he was making was a lot less than the other cartoonists at D.C., Al Feldstein was making double what Kurtzman was earning. Gaines explained that Feldstein was working on seven comic books at the same time while Kurtzman was only doing two. The problem with Kurtzman is his two titles were very research-heavy, and it left him little time to do anything else. Gaines suggested a humorous comic based on some cartoons he had done earlier. It would be something simple he could pump out in between all his historical comics. Kurtzman agreed. Now, at one time, when E.C. was doing their horror stories, people used to joke, calling them E.C.'s Little Mad Mags. 
They used this for their new comic, eventually shortening it to just Mad. Now, according to Al Jaffe, one of Mad Magazine's wonderful artists, everyone was attracted to the new dimension that Harvey Kurtzman was introducing. He was breaking all the rules. Characters were jumping out of panels and into each other's panels. His concepts he used at the time were revolutionary because he was breaking the third or fourth wall, whatever you call it. The first issue of the Mad comic book appeared in late 1952. Many stories in the issue featured what Kurtzman saw as fundamental untruths done in parody form. Men such as Will Elder, Jack Davis, and Wally Wood did much of the illustrations for what he wrote. The first issue had four stories, each one a typical EC comic book gender. There was a horror story called Hoo-Ha, a science fiction tale, Blobs, Varmint was a western, and there was a crime story called Ganelfs. Across the top of the cover, it said, Tales to Drive You, and then in big letters, Mad. And running down the side, it said, Humor in a Jugular Vein. It was 32 pages of cartoons and ads. It was on the second issue that Mad would create something that would be a staple of the magazine for the next 60 years. A direct parody of a published story. They took the classic Tarzan and called it Melvin. But for a while, the comic book seemed a failure, losing thousands of dollars for EC. The first three issues sold terribly, and cancellation seemed like a real possibility. Then they hit on something that turned things around. It was called Super Duper Man, which was a parody of Superman. In the story, the superhero uses his X-ray vision to peer into ladies' rooms. The thing about the story, it wasn't just a parody of a superhero comic, but also what was going on between DC and Fawcett Comics at the time. The two were involved in a copyright infringement lawsuit over their characters Superman and Captain Marvel. It was a social commentary done with a story within a story, something that would be used a lot in Mad over the years. This new issue sold out very quickly. One of the mad artists, Bill Elder, would often add little touches in his art, small things in the background like signs and such that made the comic book fun to read and read again. They began calling these little touches Chicken Fat, and that even became Bill Elder's nickname, Bill Chicken Fat Elder. Those little touches would be common for Mad Magazine over the years. In episode 6, they did something that they would continue doing from then on, and that was to parody a film. King Kong became Ping Pong. Now, even though other artists drew the comics, they were under strict orders to follow Kurtzman's panels that he would sketch out in detail. Kurtzman would draw out every page to every story before sending them to be illustrated. Being forced to follow Kurtzman's designs frustrated some of the artists as they would prefer to do their own thing. In 1954, Harvey Kurtzman was in the office at Ballantine Books when he noticed a postcard pinned to the office bulletin board. There was an odd face on the card. It was a face that didn't have a care in the world except mischief, recalled Kurtzman. The origins of the face may never be fully known. They call the face the new boy and it's been used in advertising for years and years. One of the earliest uses of the new boy that the editors at Mad Magazine could find was from the 1890s, from a dentist who called himself Painless Romaine. In the ad, there was a smiling face with a tooth missing, and the words didn't hurt a bit underneath. 
1940, there was an advertisement for James Evan Auto Parts. It featured the new boy with the words, Me Worry Underneath. Bill Gaines says he remembers seeing the face in ads when he was a kid with the phrase, What Me Worry? In early as 1954, the face began appearing in MAD. Now, much of what's known about this new boy face was due to the research Gaines did after being sued at least four times over the character. He had to go to court to prove the face was public domain, which he did and which the courts eventually agreed. Now, the original comic book was published every month, but it soon became such a success that Gaines changed it to a monthly comic. And the original idea of this being something that Kurtzman would do in between working on his war comics became totally unrealistic. Mad soon became his main focus, and soon both war comics were canceled so he could work full-time on Mad. Besides, with the Korean War winding down, war comics were not a big draw anymore. Now, much of the information from this episode about the early days of MAD came from a lecture by comic historian Mark Arnold. He did a talk about the legacy of Harvey Kurtzman and MAD magazine. Mark points out that one of the best things about MAD is it's sort of a time capsule of what was going on at the time, and I have to say that I agree. Now, after three years and 23 issues, MAD was the biggest-selling comic for EC. So much so that other comic book publishers were coming out with their own humor magazines. Even EC created a second book called Panic. But Kurtzman was getting restless. He was no longer happy doing a comic book, and he wanted to move on to magazines, where he thought the big money was. And at the same time, the comic book code was in effect, and although it didn't really affect Mad all that much, it could become an issue. So, to make Kurtzman happy and keep him at EC, as well as making the comic immune to the new code, Mad was changed into a magazine. Mad Magazine Issue 1 was published in July of 1955. Now, in one of the most surprising decisions Gaines made with the new magazine was not to take any advertising, to just survive on newsstand sales. He thought it might be difficult to accept money from the same people he was making fun of. After about a year of working on the new magazine, Harvey Kurtzman went to Gaines and asked for a 51% share of EC Comics. Gaines refused, and the two parted ways. Al Feldstein became the new editor of Mad Magazine, and it was Al who turned the magazine into the one I remember reading when I grew up. He brought in such creative men as Don Martin, Frank Jacobs, and Mort Drucker. But perhaps the most significant contribution Al made to the magazine was to take that little illustration of the red-haired boy with the gap-toothed smile, freckles, protruding nose, and large ears, and adopt him into the magazine's mascot. I decided I wanted to have this visual logo as the image of MAD, the same way corporations had the jolly green giant and the dog barking at the gramophone for RCA, he said in a New York Times interview. This kid was the perfect example of what I wanted. He hired an artist, a little old guy in his 60s named Norman Mingo, to create the illustration. He later said that Mingo walked into his office and asked what kind of a magazine it was. 
When Feldstein said mad, Mingo said goodbye. But Feldin convinced him to stay and began showing him images of the new boy and said, I want a definitive portrait of this kid. I don't want him to look like an idiot. I want him to be lovable and have an intelligence behind his eyes. But I want him to have a devil-may-care attitude, someone who can maintain a sense of humor while the world is collapsing around him. It was Feldstein who gave the mascot the name Alfred E. Newman. I couldn't really find any information about how he came up with the name, although one New York Times article said it was a takeoff on the Hollywood composer Alfred Newman. Newman made his first fleshed-out appearance on the 30th issue of the magazine, and he's been on most covers ever since. L. Feldstein would be the editor of Mad Magazine during its heyday from 1956 to 1984. It would reach its greatest success in 1974 with an issue that sold 2,850,000 copies. That year, they averaged 2.1 million copies per issue. Gaines sold the company in the early 1960s to the Kinney Parking Company, but always continued to run Mad Magazine as he saw fit without corporate interference. He kept at it even though its sales slowly declined. Bill Gaines died in his sleep on June 3, 1992 at the age of 70, having published the satirical magazine for over 40 years. He was survived by his wife, Annie, and his three children, Kathy, Wendy, and Chris. One thing about Gaines is that he never attempted to capitalize on Mad or Alfred E. Newman with merchandising. Besides a mad board game, a takeoff a monopoly in which to win you must lose all your money and go bankrupt, there were no other products. There were no Alfred E. Newman beach towels, no hamburgers, no candy bars, Gaines once said. You'll never see any of that kind of junk. Maybe a watch if it ran backwards. After a series of mergers and acquisitions, Mad wound up being the property of Time Warner, Inc., but in June of 2019, it was announced that Mad Magazine would cease publication. Rest in peace, Mad Magazine. We don't believe in merchandising. Uh, we make fun of people who suck every last dime out of a product, and so uh, we won't do it. Well, Alfred is uh, about 100 years old. He was first used, and we've researched this quite a bit, he was first used by a painless dentist in Topeka, whose name was Painless Romaine. And they used the picture of Alfred with the tooth missing and the legend, it didn't hurt a bit. Subsequently, Alfred popped up with his legend, What Me Worry, uh, which we did not create. His What Me Worry uh, is deeply philosophical when you think about it. A little bit before I go, yes, it's sad that Mad Magazine is no longer in print, but... I, I think we could all understand why. I mean, magazines in general are dying. Now, personally, I still like the idea of magazines, to have something to hold in your hand that you can flip through. It, it just seems a lot easier than trying to read on a tablet or a phone or a computer. I don't know. And it's just... But times change, you know, and I'm old, so... And while Mad's sense of humor was something new and fresh 50 years ago, it's not as cutting edge as it once was. I mean, it's it's mild compared to what the youth has available to them today. So it had its time in history, and its time, unfortunately, has come to an end. Now, there's a lot about the magazine I didn't talk about. 
I could have done episodes on many of the people that worked on the magazine. There's tons of stories there, and I actually had to cut out quite a bit to uh, make it fit into the time I have here. Now, the show ran a little long today, so I'm going to skip the normal ending credits. But one last thing. If you could, think about sharing this show on social media. That would be a huge help to me. Oh, and if you've got a rich uncle that wants to invest in a podcasting network, an investment that will not profit him in any way whatsoever, hey, please pass my name on. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with something fun. Coffee with Jeff. 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 Coffee with Jeff.